once again to center-left radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online uh, as part of what we call our radio feed. That's the second link on our homepage. You know where that is because you've probably gone through it. Well, probably. Uh, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. That's how you got here. You may have also come through uh, a standard uh, podcast feed. You could have come through ours at the aforementioned homepage. Uh, there's a link there to the podcasts that we have of all of our of our new shows and many of our uh, older shows. I think uh, there is a uh, a add one subtract one uh, to the tune of about 50 different shows that stay up at any given time with the particular uh, service that we use here with Center Left Radio. But you can either get us through our website and there pick up either our radio loop. You know, that's the thing that sort of feels like a, a good old-fashioned radio show. The way you turn it on in your car or anywhere else. Turn on a talk show like you used to or still do. Flick it on and uh, wherever the show happens to be, well, that's where you start listening. That's what the radio loop is all about. It's running in real time on a separate computer here in the studio, comes out through servers, and you get to have a radio experience, except it's not coming through airwaves. It's not technically broadcasted. It's coming via the Internet, and who knows how many satellite bounces and how many nodes and how far around the planet or how many times around the planet it has to travel from the time it goes from a desk, and I'm looking at it right now to the point where it finally gets into your earbuds or whatever other audio mechanism you're utilizing to listen to us. That's one way. And the other, of course, is podcasts, either through uh, your own podcast service. In that case, you'd look for Center Left Radio or to the aforementioned website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and hit the first link on that page, and that takes you to the Center Left Radio podcast feed. One way or the other, you're with us, and we're very happy you are. I, I, I want to um, talk about something that I, 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 for some reason, I've noticed that I, I tend to get to talking about connections usually as sort of a, um, an end point thing in the show. Normally, uh, well, normally, when, when this comes up, it, usually I've, I've added in something about the nature of fear and how fear and love, love also hope being a, a major mechanism, a major avatar, a major expression of love, how these are antithetical functions that exist in all of our souls. And our souls are not that which is owned by some theological, uh, you know, supernatural being. No, they are, they are the driving force. They are an energetic mechanism, a very real, real physical 
but but because we don't know all the rules and we realize how incredibly interconnected everything is and how the universe is powered and and how all of this happens we don't understand everything about what it is that drives us, but we know that it creates us as individual entities, that there is a power packet, and that, and that uh, many of the ancient cultures, the ancient uh, South Asian and East Asian cultures, recognize that this power packet, as it were, is something that has a very long lifespan to it because it's part and parcel of the entire universe. Everything that was and ever was, it is all connected everywhere through all time. Our souls are part of that. And basically, um, according to Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, keep coming back empowering other uh, discernible life forms uh, until they get things right. If th this is where, this is where the, the philosophical and, the, and maybe to some extent the theological comes in. Once the soul perfects itself, it joins a higher force. It's, it's, sort, of a, it's sort of theological democracy, if you will. And it's the type of theological democracy you could only have in a non-centralized organizational uh, God, human, divine human institution, operative word, uh, institution, because institutions have to look after themselves, have to keep themselves strong. And in most Western religious institutions, the way that's done is by setting up the rules in such a way that, you, the, that members or people who want the protection of that religion are forced to do things exactly as the religion dictates. You really have to make sure that there's a bit of a compulsory aspect to all this. And so it would stand to reason that if you, uh, that, that your soul now suddenly becomes the, the, um, the responsibility, the, the possession as it were, of whatever uh, supernatural entity is at the, uh, at, at the narrative heart of the religious institution. And the rules of that supernatural entity as, as expressed in the narrative, the text, and the dicta uh, that are derived from the text, those rules say it's a one-shot deal. It's up and down. You got one shot, you're pulled out of the sky, your soul is deposited in you by the supernatural being. You either follow all the rules of the institution or follow them sufficiently well to merit having that soul once it's replucked out of you being sent up to up high it's always higher uh, you can look up in the air into the sky into the equivalent of whatever heaven is or it goes under the earth or the equivalent thereof you know where volcanoes come from into everlasting hell but it but it serves the organizational purpose to make sure that it's a one-shot deal it's up and down, one chance, thumbs up, thumbs down. It's simple, it's easy, and it works to preserve organizational prerogatives as opposed to a far more South Asian, East Asian concept 
of we are one, our souls are just a part of this massive structure called the universe, but maybe it's multiple universes, and it passes through all time and space and through all, all variations thereon, and we are as, we are as perpetual as the energy of the universe around us, or as in, it, it, we are transmuted, perhaps. Uh, one of the Hindu concepts has always had the notion of a big bang, big crunch, and it happens over a period of what we call kalps, K-A-L-P-S. Somebody once sat down with the uh, Upanishads or, and listened to, and read where this was mentioned and calculated that a kalp might be roughly three and a half billion years. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a big, 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 big number. And, and it really kind of fell in line, in a way, with scientific notions. We may yet figure out that there is a big crunch that follows the Big Bang. We're still in the theoretical physics phase, and we also may find out or, or, or prove, maybe mathematically, I don't know that we'll ever experience it, that subsequent universes happen at the other side of black holes or once everything in our universe. I don't know. But, but the soul continues on. But the important point being that it's connected. Everything is connected. We are not simply uh, elements in some divine file drawer. Uh, and and uh, bring me out uh, 625 BA74, and let's see how have they done. Uh, do we put them in the heaven file or the hell file? Um, for all eternity, thank you. No, it, it, that's not... That's probably not how it works. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't, and, I, and, I, and you're more than welcome to believe that it does if, if, this is what, if this is what motivates you to be good in your life. But I don't particularly need to feel that level of uh, institutional pressure uh, in order to do well. And, and it just doesn't comport with my notions of how the universe works and, and how we work within it. it. It makes us other than the universe, some bodies, personal uh, toys. Our soul is a toy to be, uh, to be utilized uh, and, and to be uh, lost and won and gained and, and filed away and whatever the case may be. That's, that's me. That's my way of looking at it. Everybody is entitled to look at it any way they would like. I, I realize in saying what I'm saying, uh, probably uh, uh, counter to most Western thought processes. Not that, not that a lot of Americans, religiously speaking, are all that committed to these ideas one way or the other. It's traditional to imagine winning or losing your soul and that it's not really yours. It's, it's this other entities. It's not really all that connected. I'm, I'm about connection. Now, having gone through all of that uh, and getting it out of my system, as it were, earlier in the show rather than later, uh, I, I want to talk about connection of things that aren't normally thought of as connected. We, we have a series of storylines 
that are running through uh, the American news cycle these days. And, and, and it's a pretty consistent group. Uh, you have, of course, the war in Ukraine, the Russian, the, the, the dastardly uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, you have uh, COVID. You have inflation. Uh, you have, let's see, what else is there out there that, that's a constant? And, of course, you have everything to do with the January 6th committee and their findings. Those four areas are largely in one way or the other, what, uh, what occupies the, the news cycle, the information cycle, the media cycle, the, 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 uh, the social media cycle, everywhere you go, you're going to get some, some, uh, some assortment or one of, usually most more, more than one of, those four stories will be what you're going to hear something about. But... They are te they tend to be presented as rather separate and distinct one from the other. Uh, COVID uh, is is not necessarily linked to economic issues and inflation when supply chain basically the supply chain issues are probably provably uh, functions in some way of uh, the entire COVID situation on the planet, the changing of job patterns, and uh, the, these things do have connections that, um, that, that Putin and everything going on with Ukraine and therefore affecting uh, the energy supply and therefore that and how that plays. There are connections between these stories that, that usually don't get pointed up all that much. There are two particular things that I want to try combining for your attention on this show that I want you to start thinking about as integrated for purposes of uh, causal things, cause and effect. And they may seem, taken individually may seem relatively small, but like all things that are connected, it's one thing to point out intellectually what a connection is. It's a very different thing than to track it and watch it and see it play out. And, and, and finally, there's that moment down the road when you go, oh, yeah. And it's really cool to be able to have realized somewhat in advance what the oh yeah was going to be all about rather than looking back over our shoulders frequently when it's too late to well if your if your mind was a Jesus we should have we should have dealt with that or we shouldn't have allowed that connection or something should have been done about that it's it's nice to see things in advance here here's what I see the American intelligence services were slapped around mercilessly by Donald Trump. He went out of his way to say that he knew more than they knew. 
and as part of the mindset mindset of any authoritarian. I mean, wit witness what's going on with Vladimir Putin right now. Um, he's just finished purging like a, 150 members of this intelligence group that he was the head of when he was back at the KGB, the group that was charged with keeping track of and trying to keep operations going in the former Soviet states with the understanding that at some point we'd be bringing them all back together again. Well, they're the ones who were charged with setting up, or at least providing the information necessary that was allegedly used in the invasion of Ukraine. Well, it's been a disaster militarily, although now it's just turning into a humanitarian horror show for the most part because, you know, the Russians are just lobbing in whatever they're lobbing in at these people and committing whatever atrocities they can, usually in a burnt, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a burnt bridge sort of way of doing it as they, as they leave a given area and doing horrible, horrible things. It's a mess. It was supposed to be an easy in-and-out situation. It turned into a disaster. So there's a purge there. Why? Because authoritarian types can never feel as though either A, they're wrong, or B, they accepted bad information, and D, you gotta see, you always have to blame someone. They, they don't, these people don't retire. Authoritarians don't perceive themselves as going into retirement. They're going to be around for a long time So in, the, in their minds. So what they have to do is they have to perpetually, constantly work from a state of paranoia and rip away anyone and anything that is giving them a bad image or who allegedly gave them the wrong information, even if they wanted that wrong information. This is, this is Trump defined perfectly. Now, because of our system, you can't just go ahead and start purging, although you can start throwing people who are totally incompetent in positions of authority and information in various sectors of the information world and put them in charge of full groups of people and start screwing things up. That was the Trump methodology. Putin does it easier. He just rips rips your heart out and because he's an he is a he is a licensed authoritarian as it were what happened under biden now and 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 our information agencies morale morale speaking you know from a morale perspective were absolutely devastated I, so I understand by the whole Trump effort to constantly to take Putin's information or anyone else's information or any of the autocrats any, and to take that over his own people. Ah, oh, now they're, they're a bunch. I, I know more. And I, blah, blah, blah. Biden comes back. And as the, uh, as the Ukrainian situation is cranking up, as the Russian invasion approaches, he begins declassifying information picked up by these very same intelligence agencies and begins making it public. And what happens? He is virtually spot on and one or two weeks ahead of every major move being made by Vladimir Putin. 
When, when is the invasion coming? Is it coming? How are they going to go? Where are they going to go? What will they do? What is happening? Are they moving? When, when are they going to move forces? Where are those forces regrouping? Where are they going to go next? Who is the latest general being put in charge, and what is he going to do? There's, they have another general coming in, the guy who just massacred Aleppo from the air, didn't give a damn about the civilians, just le leveled the whole thing. That's the general being put in charge of what apparently is going to be the next phase of the Russian massacre uh, against the eastern portions of Ukraine and Donbras and, and I don't know what else you could do, Mariupol and places like that, uh, to, to give Putin some kind of a, uh, a premise for declaring victory. Now the storyline goes before May 9th, which is a big day in Russia, because that is the day that uh, the Russian defeat of the Nazi forces is commemorated. Boy, would that be great, because Putin has said the whole reason for this was to denazify Ukraine and all that crap. And it must drive Putin and others in his circle crazy to see this declassified, ridiculously accurate, or damn near ridiculously accurate information perpetually flowing through the American media. And Americans have become, this is the important point, Americans have learned that they can trust this information because no sooner do they get the story from the American media sources and social media and however you get it, then, then Vladimir plays it out in real life. The prediction is made, and the next thing you know, you're watching it play out. The, the intelligence services of America are being rehabilitated in a way that, that, that is hard to overestimate. By the way, I would say, I would say Joe Biden is brilliantly utilizing them. Now, now where does, what's, what's the connection and I'm going to connect this to another one of those four major stories, remember? Uh, but in a way that you might not otherwise think. Our, remember, our intelligence services... Now, may, now maybe, maybe the average American day by day doesn't go, you know, um, I'm thinking back to when, uh, when dumb Donald basically was, was, was pissing all over American intelligence services. And I understand that what Joe Biden is doing right now is essentially rehabilitating them. And it's a conscious effort to, to make sure that they are perceived as being capable of doing and providing accurate information. And we're seeing it in real time. Wow, what an interesting difference differentiation. What a dichotomy between what was there before. I feel so much better about information when I know it's come from American resources, in intelligence resources. No, no one is probably saying it in quite those words. But, okay, we move to another area, and here's the connection. And it involves the January 6th committee. The January 6th committee, and one of the lead leaders of that committee, obviously, Liz Cheney, made a statement yesterday. Uh, and it, it, might have been, it might have been from a Sunday interview, I forget. But the information was out yesterday. And she said, 
she, she left no doubt, I forget exactly what the words were, that there was more than enough information to proceed with criminal referrals, the word was referrals, concerning Donald Trump and others. That there was no doubt that, that, that it, was, it was all there. Now, what is a criminal referral? Uh, keep in mind the, the special committee, the January 6th special committee, the committee reviewing it, has no prosecutorial capacity. In other words, that committee, it's, 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 a, it's members of Congress. Uh, there are two Republicans and I forget how many Democrats. And they have the right to investigate. They, they've, they've had to subpoena. They've subpoenaed. They've had something like, I think, 700 witnesses. Some amazing amount of, of people have been there and given information. They're at the top level of people right now. They've gotten a lot of pushback from top-level people, and they've issued, they've issued subpoenas. They, they basically, uh, they've issued contempt citations. Where that will all go, we'll find out over time. It should, uh, those ci contempt citations should go to the Justice Department. And in the Justice Department, in the interest of not having a, a, a entire branch of the government uh, debased, its power is debased, uh, and there are all sorts of rules to back this up or all sorts of authority, should prosecute for contempt under whatever applicable uh, legislation or applicable laws are out there, those people who refuse to comply with a lawful subpoena of Congress. Now, it's yet to be seen how that'll play. But at the same time, again, the question was, what is a referral? Well, be, while the Congress cannot indict directly, while the committee cannot indict directly, it can... And part of its charge is to give information to the Justice Department, the, you know, the, the, the Attorney General and everybody in that department, which all technically, as we learned the hard way, the last uh, administration under Trump, reports to uh, the chief executive, to the president. But to give that information there and uh, and then allow the uh, allow the Justice Department to pursue uh, what it in in the Congress's uh, opinion is a a a mandated a a stipulated uh, prosecution based on the information presented we've given you this you should be able with this to make an extremely good case thank you says the Justice Department will take it from here but the argument coming up right now is whether or not uh, that, that the, this committee should actually go ahead and come down to the wire and offer um, a, a referral. Why? Because it will seem as though, and everybody has to think politically about these things, it will seem as though there is a, uh, again, this, the, the Democrat, the liberals there in Congress are basically pushing around the Justice Department and, and Biden is using them to basically get at Trump and get at others, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I suppose there, there's something to be said about that. And, and understand something else about the process at work here. Everything that the Congressional Committee, the January 6th Congressional Committee, every bit of information they have is also had by the Justice Department. And there's probably a hell of a lot more that the Justice Department already has. We also know that a federal judge has ruled on a uh, on a uh, on a on a request a demand a subpoena against Mark Espy, who was that was his name, the former attorney or the the alleged attorney to Trump, uh, who basically was refusing to give information, and a federal judge in in in, in supporting the subpoena, re, re, you know, denying the motion to quash the subpoena said there is the absolute likelihood that a crime has been committed here. A federal judge referring to the interaction between Espies and Trump. And therefore, there's no attorney-client privilege. You cannot have privilege in the furtherance of a crime. That privilege dissipates and is null and void at that point. So that is usually the trigger point when the Justice Department would start getting involved and in going out and starting its own prosecution. But in this case, the Justice Department has been doing investigations. Long way around to, to bring you to the point, but I want, to, I want you to see the picture here. If the committee goes ahead and does a referral, it can be perceived as political. The Justice Department can just as well proceed on its own and begin doing whatever indictments it demands, bring down whatever indictments it wants, or, or basically make a request, direct, it can direct a federal district, uh, a federal district attorney to essentially initiate, open a case against someone, and there will be, and, and there will be an indictment issued against Trump, against anyone they want. Once that happens, evidence will be produced. Where did you get that evidence? Well, did we, did we get it independently? Yes, we were using many of our own internal sources. We, we got the beginnings of it from the uh, January 6th committee, but the vast majority of what we have has been developed by our internal intelligence sources. And, and, and you see the, the, the disconnect, or, the, or there would be a need, uh, it would be, I think, desirable to disconnect the, the, the Attorney General's office, the Justice Department, from the January 6th committee for this purpose, just so Merrick Garland can ultimately say that we ultimately came to this conclusion on our own based on our intelligence sources. And then they lay out in detail much of what will wind up on television in June in the televised public hearings that the January 6th committee is going to have. And the Justice Department, if this plays out the way I hope and think it will, will simply say, here's what you heard. Maybe not say here's what you heard, but they will present the corroborating information 
that basically validates the stuff you're going to hear. This is what's different about what happened uh, with the impeachment trials, the two impeachment trials, where basically it was the Congress throwing this out there, the second one especially, it was so fast and it came so quickly. The Justice Department will be able to say that based on, on solid intelligence information, through American intelligence sources, we have validated that thus and such happened. And the American people will have seen it in the, Jan in the June hearings, but they will have not gotten the sense that the Justice Department is simply fulfilling the political dictates of the Biden administration as, uh, as, as the dirty work for which being done by the, by the Congress saying, we refer this information to you. Take our information. No, the Justice Department should want to be able to say this congressionally produced information validates our own intelligence agency sourced information about what happened on January 6th and who did it. And what's the value of being, it, it may seem like a subtle difference, what's the value of being able to do that? That's the same way that information Basically, the, the, the validated, validated information from our, in, from our information sources, from our investigatory sources, has been validated time and time again by the actions of Vladimir Putin and the Russian military. The validity, the, 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 the rehabilitation of American information sources has been an ongoing process, and, and Merrick Garland will simply use that fact that's already being, that the American people are already being made aware of, and will have to carefully, in, in his earliest statements about this, make it understood that the same brilliance of American investigatory organizations, the same type of people, the same type of operation, the same level of professionalism that has given us the ability to be predictive of what the Russians are about to do has, has worked in the other direction in being able to investigate ex post facto after the fact that which was already done. In fact, it's even easier because you simply follow the trail of what's already there, not having to burrow into, not having to burrow into the minds of, and, the, and the offices of people about things that are going to happen. No, we're starting with things that have happened and we're finding out who exactly was involved. We're damned good at this. Merrick Garland can say. He doesn't have to say or doesn't have to have it implied that we only have this information or we're only doing this or we're kind of just sort of stepping into this just because the Congress is telling us this congressional committee wants us to do it. No. You need the Justice Department to do this independently and to puff out its chest and say, look at what you're seeing around the world. 
Look at the information that we are providing. These same resources operating on a domestic level, and in some cases there's going to be an international connection, I have no idea, no, no idea but probably no doubt, we are able to produce the same level and the same level of credible information on our own using, we using our information resources. The Congress may have had to use subpoena and sit there and have people come before their committee, but they are not the intelligence experts. We are. And we can, from our own intelligence sources, confirm what Donald Trump was doing with XYZ, what he was doing with SB, what was going on with Mark Meadows, what else, who else was involved. That's what you have to get out there. And that has to be established from the get-go. And the only reason, the only reason Merrick Garland will be able to do that is because the American intelligence services have been rehabilitated vis-a-vis the information that is being put out to the American public, the declassified information being put out to the American public at the behest of the president, coming from the very sources, from the very professionalism, from, from the historic credibility as it was certainly, and now it should be again, that has been earned by American intelligence sources working both internationally and domestically. Oh, there's a connection. Oh, there's a, there, there's a major connection. No, we don't want, no, 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 no. We're, this, we're, we're not just picking up, uh, we, we didn't just get a file in from a congressional committee based on the interviews that they did and we're going to begin uh, a prosecution of X, Y, and Z based on that. No. It's the other way around. We've watched the investigation. We've watched the hearings, the public version of these hearings on TV. And they have fallen into line with our information, says the Justice Department. Our internally generated information. January 6th committee, we'd like, to, we'd like to basically congratulate you for largely finding precisely what we have found on our own. This is dreadfully important in order to give credibility to the subsequent prosecutions that are going to take place. If this is allowed from day one to simply be uh, it, there's, there's going to be claims of political, uh, you know, nothing but political witch hunt. You're going to hear that again and again. But the Justice Department under Merrick Garland must make every effort to own this entire thing from the get-go. We've already done a show on what happens whether or not if, if Merrick Garland, if for, for some reason, God forbid, should decide to eschew the need to do all this. Basically, I think the conclusion that I reached, and we, we covered it from many bases, the conclusion I reach is that basically the country goes to hell. All credibility for the American government goes to hell. And you're, and you're opening up the possibility of a Trump or worse coming back in 2024. If you get that man back in, you lose NATO, you lose everything, the whole thing goes to hell. You, 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 we can't have that happen. 
Now, I don't want to, it's not can't have that happen in, in, the, uh, in the sense that we will have our own insurrection and attempt to overturn the election if God forbid it should. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying America can't really afford a Donald Trump or a Donald Trump surrogate. You know, a, 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 a uh, you know, a Floridian or Texan governor who basically is just pandering. And then I'll try to pull it back a little bit when they get into the national campaign. But that, that's not going to be the case. And remember, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I have to bring this up also. Marjorie Taylor Greene basically uh, is being sued by her own constituents right now within her district in Georgia, in federal court, they're bringing an action against her to prevent her from running because she is in violation of a subsection of the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, the one that basically, you know, the, the, the free, freeing the slaves and all that. And basically, one of the subsections talked about the fact that it was illegal that it would be a violation, that no, no official, no public official involved in an insurrection against the government of this country, which is to say all the Southern, everybody, every Southern politician who was involved in the uh, Confederacy, you will not be able to run for office. You may not hold office within the government again. And so far as I know, that case is proceeding along as well. Hasn't I, she, her people, her, her, her oh, man, oh, my goodness, there's, there's no insurrection here. It was just a bad day. Nothing happened. Blah, 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 blah. That's tied into this also. We are getting closer and closer to Merrick Garland beginning, opening, starting, issuing indictments via, most likely, D.C. District. And who will get the indictment first? Who will be brought in? Probably not Donald initially. But it will not, and, and this is why, this is why the, the, uh, the, the uh, former official rule within the 13th Amendment is so important. It, that will become more front of mind as well, because that will basically make it, literally, it will stipulate, it will force the government in following a constitutional rule to make sure that someone like a Mark Meadows, someone who was in government, a current, a, even a current, doesn't matter, there's no, there's no protection here. You shouldn't even be in the government if there's, even, if there's even a suggestion that you were part and parcel of the, uh, an insurrection. And if you're going to be indicted, well, at a minimum, you shouldn't be allowed to run. And that'll probably be part of the stipulation made uh, as, part of the, uh, as part of the indictment. In other words, in the, in the course of the trial, no one would be allowed to run. If this particular rule is enforced, as I think it will be, all of this is coming together. I don't see how this is avoided. The Justice Department historically does not ignore rulings of the federal courts. 
once something that is within the Justice Department's purview and vision as a, as a prosecutable crime of that, of that magnitude that the Justice Department directly would pursue it, and this usually happens when federal judges are ruling on matters of that sort, and especially here in matters involving alleged and live on TV insurrection, this stuff gets picked up. The, the, the Justice Department works from this, this material, works with it. So the Marjorie Taylor Greene case now works with the current or a potential uh, member of Congress or anyone who would have a position within government high level within, within the federal government. I don't think it, I don't think it, I don't know that the rule was talking about any state government. I, I know that it was referring to federal government. I have to go back and look at the subsection on that. But that means you go after everyone. It's all coming into line. Prediction, prediction, that's all. Nothing happens before the June, the, 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 what? There'll be talk of what is going on within the Justice Department, but, but the Justice Department, more than likely, will not bring down its first indictment until after... Hmm. Am I, do, I, do I really want to think? Is, is this, is this, do I believe what I'm about to say? They will not bring down an indictment until after the congressional hearings have taken place. Would that make it seem as though they were being influenced by the congressional hearings? Or do they want to preempt the congressional hearings by coming up and saying, we have this and we look forward to seeing, and the Congress then says, and, he, and what, we agree with the Justice Department you know, that makes more sense to me, that, uh, that, that Merrick Garland would, would basically want to preempt the congressional hearings in June, and that would mean that something, at least some form of indictment or some indication of what the Justice Department is doing should get out there, minus a referral from the January 6th committee prior to the public hearings on, Janu uh, on the January 6th insurrection that will be appearing on TV starting in June. Okay, that's where we're going to leave this. Merrick Garland, as far as I'm concerned, and the Justice Department, to do the best possible job of this and to basically follow their karma, <laughs> Let's get back into that uh, to do what is what needs to be done to basically protect this country as best they can. Not whether or not it's going to work exactly as they plan. Well, that's not for us to. That's not for us to know. You must simply follow what your karma says you must do. There are things. There is an obligation to act. We can't not act because we think or we imagine things might go wrong with our actions. No, we must do, we must be guided beyond, above all else by what we know is right. To really look deep, and meditate, however, whatever you have to do to say, what is the right thing to do here? And then you do it. And for Merrick Garland and the Justice Department, that's easy. 
The whole country, the whole planet knows what's going on. Every Trump supporter basically knows what's happened and what is happening here. They're just like, like Russians right now supporting Putin, basically looking for ways or being told by their media basically what the storyline is. They're simply going to have to hear stuff that they don't want to hear, and they will hear it once the hearings start taking place, and they'll be decried by, by Tucker Carlson and the rest of them. Ah, this is all crap. It's, but it'll be coming from, and when, when it comes from the Justice Department, we got this information from the same sources that gave us, and we gave you with the president's permission, blow-by-blow blow information into what the Russian military was going to do now. If we could get into them, if we could find our way into the Russian military, do you imagine for a moment that we can't find our way into a bunch of Keystone cop would-be insurrectionists to get their information? Do you really think that we, that, we, that we can only do the super, super hard stuff and we can't imagine doing the basic stuff? Can you imagine not making that argument? I would. Not that that's the reason that Merrick Garland should, but that's got to be the major argument to the American people. We're doing the hard stuff because we can. And because justice demands that we do, everyone, everyone is equal under the law. And we are about to demonstrate how that works under our laws. Oh, we've got interesting times ahead. A little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Connections are so important, and some of them are hard to see. But think about this one. The credibility, the rehabilitation of the American intelligence services is something that's been used to predict beautifully what Russia's going to do. That same credibility, that same rehabilitation will be used by Merrick Garland as proof positive of the information that they will independently elicit concerning January 6th insurrectionists.